I am so excited to be back here for Meet the Plebs. We have an excellent guest today. He's actually been on Meet the Plebs before, and we had a great conversation then. And he's going to be doing something awesome for Bitcoin 2022. So it really ties into to everything Bitcoin Magazine's doing these days. Yeah, no, it's it's great to have you. Uh, lots to talk about today. I did say that you were on again or uh, before, but could you just real quick go over, uh, you know, who you are, how you got into Bitcoin, real quick? Yeah, well, by the name of the show, you can tell I am a pleb. Uh, but I got into Bitcoin. My rabbit hole journey kind of started a long time ago, just with economics classes in high school, and kind of noticing that. Things didn't really add up and didn't make sense, especially in the first and second class, like the whole foundations didn't, didn't quite make sense to me and were too theoretical. So I kind of always had these reservations and went down different lines of thinking over the years in college and afterward. And it wasn't until I started looking into Bitcoin, which at first I was just interested in it as like a technology, as this like uncopyable digital thing. And as I started to find out about the economics um, that were being talked around, talked about around Bitcoin, then I really started to dive into the rabbit hole. I went full time into Bitcoin in 2018, quitting my job. Uh, I was working in marketing tech, and I went to work on a mining farm to fundraise for a mining farm. I got my crash course in how mining works and the economics of it and whatnot. Did that for a little while, started working at Kraken and worked there for about three years and left that role recently. And now I've turned full time again to writing just about Bitcoin, uh, both for my own site and for Bitcoin Magazine. And yeah, now I am taking some time off of writing and doing this motorcycle trip, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point doing a Bitcoin tour around the US. So yeah, just been more and more involved in Bitcoin as the years go on. I mean, uh, excellent, excellent to have you working with us. And it's so cool that you're taking this break from writing to, uh, to, to do this journey. Let's talk about it. We do want to hear about this awesome motorcycle ride and this like journey across America that you are describing. Yeah, so this journey kind of started with um, a scale model of a Harley that I had sitting on my desk for the last year and would always look at and think oh, it would be interesting to have a bike that big and crazy and heavy and powerful. And as time went on, I, you know, I wanted to, I've been living abroad and I wanted to come back to the U S for a while. And I thought, would it, it would be fun to do a motorcycle trip and to do something with Bitcoin? So I had been watching the rise of meetups and kind of the pleb culture and a lot of that is happening in the US. And I thought now would be the perfect time to actually buy that touring bike and ride around the country and meet Bitcoiners, go to meetups. So it kind of snowballed from there and I kept making it more and more of a serious thing. And now I just actually just bought the bike two days ago and rode it back to uh, where my cousin is staying in Florida two days ago or yesterday. So yeah, I've got the bike now and things are getting serious. So starting to plan out what the route is going to look like. It's going to start at Bitcoin 2022. And then I'm going to go from there out stopping at Bitcoin meetups as I go and basically talking to Bitcoiners. 
exciting, exciting. I've got a couple questions. First of all, I mean, are there any details you can share as far as what you're going to be doing at Bitcoin 2022? I know we may want to keep something secret. And also, I noticed that you have uh, your your description on Twitter is knucklehead riding uh, uh, across the the country. Is the the bike you've purchased a knucklehead? Can you talk at all about the bike that you've got? Yeah, so uh, I'll talk about the bike first. It's just top of mind. So I ended up buying um, a 2014 Electroglide Ultra Limited, which is just a basically a giant kitted out couch on wheels. I went with a used bike just because the more I thought about it, uh, a new bike to me just doesn't seem right. You don't need a new bike. I, I feel like a lot of my interest in, in Bitcoin that coincided with past interest is like we have such a strong consumer culture around the world where you know we always are buying new things we always want new 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 all the time but if it still works and it still runs why not get something you know older so i went with a used bike it still looks really good it's obviously been cared for um and it's a huge heavy good touring bike for taking around so it's all black right now, but I'm going to do some paint work on it and make some part orange and get some signatures on there and kind of turn it into a piece of art as I ride. So excited to do that. And then what was your first question about Bitcoin 2022, right? Uh, yeah. Any plans for just how you're announcing your, your ride there? Or are you just going to you know take the bike, show up and kind of do a burnout in front of everyone? Or... <laughs> yeah, I'm still talking to the team about the logistics of what what might be announced and uh, where I do know, and I, I think I can talk about this. I'm working on putting together sort of a meetup of meetups at the conference for meetup organizers and people who regularly go to their local meetup to not only see the people from their city, but also meet other people who go to their meetups in other, you know, other cities around the country or around the world. So really excited to be doing that and I'll be able to release more details on what that's going to look like and when it's going to be um, pretty soon. Oh, totally. I think that's an excellent idea, you know, spreading the power of meetups. And I guess that speaks a little bit to my next question, which is uh, along the lines of what's the goal of this, uh, of this journey across America, you know, meeting, meeting all these plebs and, uh, and doing this ride, what, you know, what's the most important thing to you to get out of this? Yeah, so to me, what I really want to dive into and share are the stories of average people that are interested in, in Bitcoin and following it and investing in it. Because I think there's a, there's a plethora of content out there that's very good rational explainers on why you need to have Bitcoin, whether that be from a privacy standpoint, security, um, economics, but they're from professionals in those fields, which is, is great and good for the rational side of the brain. But I think as most people know over time, money and investments are not, these are not fully rational things. Like a lot of these things, we have a very strong emotional component to them. So what I want to get into is the stories of average people that look like you and me and millions of other billions of other people around the world sharing why they are interested in Bitcoin, how they found it not coming from 
you know, an economics background or a technology background, because I think those stories will resonate much more with the millions of people that we want to understand what Bitcoin is and bust through the myths of, you know, the FUD myths around whatever it is, ESG or, or Ponzi schemes and whatnot. I want people to see that basically that people like me are also interested in Bitcoin. They're finding value in it and, and for people to hear why that is, because I think those stories are really under told, but they're very relatable. Right. Uh, I think like the presentation of Bitcoin sometimes comes off as like this giant nowadays, you know, especially uh, as adoption has really taken off, it comes off as like a giant institutional financial type of thing where you have to have a lot of money to invest or it's complicated mm -hmm. or it's technology related. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think this harkens back to like why people really enjoy Bitcoin is it's used usable by everyone. It's like for everyone. Uh, and yeah, I think that's like a, for lack of a better term, a great like blue collar return to like, you know, people can relate to that story. So, uh, I mean, I think that's an excellent idea besides the, you know, launching the motorcycle there and, uh, and, you know, taking off on your journey. Is there anything else about Bitcoin 2022 that you're specifically excited? You also mentioned that, uh, that meetup, of course. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to, to just see people in the Bitcoin space that I haven't seen in a really long time. A lot of friends that I've been keeping up with online. I think we do a great job of sharing content with each other and chatting on Telegram and whatnot. But for context, I've been out of the country since before COVID started and I'm originally American. So my friends and family are all back here and I haven't seen them in two years, including a lot of people that I met through Bitcoin. And a lot of them are going to be at Bitcoin 2022. So I'm really excited to just reconnect with those people. No, 100%. Um, you know, the, the Bitcoin community lives online. It lives on Bitcoin Twitter mostly, but uh, there's something to be said that's irreplaceable about like meeting up with like-minded people in person. I mean, since before the COVID pandemic, it seems like a lifetime ago. So we will glad you, gladly welcome you back into the United States with this wonderful event. Um, so, I mean, pivoting here, you're, you're doing this great journey and such, but really you're one of our favorite writers here at the magazine, produce some of the best content we have, uh, stuff that people read and it's actionable, um, specifically the, the latest stuff you've done on home mining. Uh, can you just talk about what's important about home mining in regards to the network and why you've been writing about it? Yeah, so I think home mining is another kind of undertold story. Mining, back to when I worked on it in 2018, has been something I've always been really personally interested in. To me, it's like one of the bedrocks of the, the whole network. If mining isn't working, then Bitcoin doesn't exist, full stop. So I've always been really interested in it. And home mining, I kind of wrote off in 2018 because I thought the economics would never work out for the price that people pay for power residentially plus the taxes and tariffs and whatever that get added on. Whereas a big industrial miner can negotiate for lower rates. So I just thought, ah, oh, this is going to disappear. And then it was kind of last year on Twitter, I started seeing these random names pop up that I'd never seen before of people doing really cool stuff with home mining, reusing the heat and improving the economics of the machines. And I thought, 
this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm seeing is people don't have that many followers or not getting that much engagement, but the stuff they're posting is super, super helpful. And I want to shine more light on what they're doing. So given that I can write for Bitcoin magazine, I thought I want to start talking to these people and getting the full story because a lot of the stuff that I was seeing out there is just tweets here and there. And, and some people are really good at making really informative Twitter threads, but other times I see a tweet and I think I have a million questions about what's going on in this picture or in this story. So I thought a long form interview articles would be a good way to dig that out and just keep showing people how this works, how you can make home mining work for you by reusing the heat and immersing machines and whatnot and do some really cool stuff with it that, you know, to your point about decentralization can help decentralize mining further because if individual home miners are all using this to run their water heater that's a lot harder to shut down than one giant 100 megawatt farm right right let's uh i mean let's dig into that a little bit about some of like these benefits and use cases um uh, i mean there's heating that's the most obvious one, but can you speak about some of those things that people can really tangibly see as a result of their Bitcoin mining besides from the obvious Bitcoin they earn? Yeah, so the, the biggest thing for me was understanding heat reuse. So it's my understanding that uh, as far as computers and electrical components go, you get the same heat from the same amount of watts, no matter what that heater is doing. So that heater could be a coil in a space heater, or it could be an ASIC. And obviously an ASIC is much more difficult to produce. It's more expensive from a capital perspective, but once you turn it on, a thousand watt ASIC is gonna produce basically the same amount of heat as a thousand watt space heater. So why not mine Bitcoin with that heat essentially and reuse that heat? So I've started to flip my thinking from you know, mining and then doing something with the heat or getting rid of the heat to you're creating heat and then you're getting Bitcoin out of it, essentially. Because that's kind of what you're doing. Now, it doesn't really replace a natural gas furnace, which is what a lot of homes use. But if you're all electric anyway, this is a really great way to make money back on your heating bill, basically, and reduce your heating bill. So you can think of it as just reducing your heating bill or you can think of it as mining and reusing that heat. But I think it just kind of opens up the number of customers that would be willing to use this type of system when you think it's a heater that, that pays you rather than ASIC that dumps out heat you can use. But as far as the heat, like I've also learned there's lots of ways you can use that heat. So obviously you could use one as a space heater, which I've seen many times where the ASIC is just blowing hot air through it and that hot air is coming out and heating a room. But like CoinHeated, for example, on Twitter, who's an amazing home miner that I interviewed. He's been doing this immersion tank setup and he has lots of ideas around how you can basically heat water with an immersion tank and then pump that water into all sorts of different systems. So you can use that water in a water-to-water -water heat exchanger to heat up water. You can use it in an HVAC system to heat up air. You can use it to heat floors, to heat a driveway. He uses it to heat a pool or rather given his scale, the pool cools down his miners because he just needs, he needs to off so much heat that he's dumping it into a pool now. But he has lots of really inventive ways for using 
this and and actually HVAC companies are used to doing this with water, but instead of heating the water with electricity or natural gas, you could heat it with ASICs. And definitely, I think like the coolest part about it is the the water style applications, right? Like uh, thinking about Bitcoin mining in terms of just heating your home with the air that it produces is is the first step, but like there's so many cool mm -hmm. things I think we haven't even really discovered yet um, that we could do with this stuff. Um, so you did mention though that uh, your first reservation was the capital start, and that uh, there is a capital, you know, cost to to home mining. Can you talk about you know how it does appear to be rather expensive to start home mining? Uh, some things people can do to like potentially mitigate that if it is you know avoidable at all, and uh, maybe some other obstacles and barriers that people might encounter when trying to do this. Yeah. So as far as the capital cost right now, it doesn't seem like there's a really good way to reduce that capital cost. Like companies just sell a six straight up and you have to pay in cash. I think down the line, this will become more commercialized, hopefully where there's like leasing programs and like, like I was saying with a heater that produces Bitcoin, you could maybe just lease a heater from a company and it would you know, pay you back some amount or give you some discount or heating bill or give you some Bitcoin, but I haven't seen any of those companies yet. But as far as the operating cost, heat reuse, which I just talked about, is the biggest way to kind of cut down your costs. But power agreements are also another one that depends on your state, your location, and what kind of programs they offer. But a lot of power companies offer different agreements. Um, one of them would be like a kind of a, a discount for drawing a constant amount of power. So basically the problem for a power company and for a grid authority is they have to match demand and supply in real time. So when people come home and turn their TVs on, they have to ramp up supply to match that. And when everyone turns their lights off, they have to dump supply to match that in real time. So or, or else they'll cause problems with the grid and shorts and whatnot. So they have to make sure that they're producing level with what people are demanding. And as far as you could make it easier for them to know what they're going to need to produce ahead of time, they'll give you some discount. So one way is this constant load. Like if your house can pull a constant load all the time, they might give you a discount for that. Some states will give you a discount. That's one way. Uh, there's also like demand response programs. So a lot of like hotter states in the summer, they will give you like a smart plug or have some system where they can shut off your AC and other really high use appliances for like a few hours during peak times in the summer when everyone has their AC on full blast. But in return for not having AC at that critical moment when it's really hot out, they give you a much cheaper rate all the rest of the year. So I talked to one miner, uh, I think his handle is Miner for Heat. And he basically has this program. And so he essentially, on days that he knows are gonna be really hot, he will pre-cool the house in the morning. And then sometimes in the afternoon, his AC will get shut off. But as long as they keep doors and windows closed, it's not really hot inside it may be a little bit hotter than other people's houses but it's all right and in return he saves like 40 percent on his 
electricity rate the rest of the time around the year. So he's able to get a much better rate for his ASICs. Oh, that's that's interesting. I haven't heard of that sort of uh, exchange before. I am curious. You mentioned like uh, what what it sounds like you were mentioning was basically the described duck curve. Would that be correct to say? If you've I heard of that. that, the duck curve rings the bell, but I can't remember exactly what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's Mark Goodwin wrote a piece about it. Uh, it was basically like. The, the peak demand it had to do with the peak demand hours and the actual energy produced in California, not coinciding essentially. And, right. uh, and he described basically how the Bitcoin, uh, you know, miners could, could help alleviate that issue. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's interesting that Bitcoin miners who you think, you know, people tend to think of them as like absorbing energy off the grid as if like there's a limited amount when really they can be useful to these companies and, and offer them, uh, you know, they'll get offered discounted rates due to the, the, the nature of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So the duck curve, that's, that is part of that constant load conversation. It's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I remember talking, I think it was coin heated who I was talking to about this and he was saying like, the, the agreement that he has with the power company, it requires you to draw like basically industrial levels of power and then have the ability to turn off that load within some insane time. It was like one minute, maybe five minutes or something. You have to go from like multiple megawatts to zero kind of really fast. And there's like a floor, like you have to have at least 500 kilowatts or something. I don't remember exactly what the floor is, but you have to have that amount. And then over that, they'll have a conversation with you about a discount if you can flip off all of that consumption really fast. And then they basically will call up these people and say, hey, we need, to, we need you to shut off all your stuff right now. And it's kind of like the AC thing, but on a much larger scale. And they give you bigger discounts. And it's more for like, like um, you know, industrial facilities, factories and whatnot. But those factories, they can't turn on and off that quickly. Whereas ASICs, it takes you know, 10 seconds to spin down a whole farm of ASICs. It's much easier to respond to fluctuations in that curve and help the grid. Right. Yeah, I guess Bitcoin's in sort of a unique position where um, like, it's not an entire factory that needs to be shut down uh, per se. Yeah. Um, I do have a question in... in uh, just branching further off of like obstacles. Do you, you know, there's a lot of talk right now that uh, if mining becomes too centralized by large farms, basically taking too much of the hash rate, uh, regulation could be introduced that would sort of dictate what blocks would be allowed per se. Do you think that that's possible? Do you see that, you know, Bitcoin miners uh, at home are, are like the remedy to that? Or do you sort of write that off as probably not even being a chance of happening? I mean, I'm by no means uh, even an amateur on regulation. So I can't really say whether that would actually happen, but it sounds plausible to me. And I think the more we can do to move mining and nodes and you know every part of the network out to the edges where there are individuals in control of it rather than large organizations, the the stronger Bitcoin is going to be because it's the more people that that even not need to get convinced, but need to get organized to even, you know, turn against a, a certain party or censor transactions or whatnot. 
No, definitely. Uh, I'm I'm in agreement with you there. Uh, so, do you see uh, like a trend towards an increase in, in home miners over time, or are you yeah, you know, do you think that as more and more hash rate enters the market, it'll just become more difficult for for home miners to be viable? I see it increasing a lot. I think there will be some commercialization within the home mining space, like I was saying with heaters that produce SATs. And hopefully those types of units, like we've been talking about the S9 still, what, eight years, you know, six years or something, eight or six or eight years since it was created. And it's still out there in large numbers hashing away. So I think we're going to have a situation where hopefully power costs keep coming down as there's more and more innovation and discovery around energy sources and pushing energy prices down further. And then home miners will have the edge over industrial miners in that they can use that heat. And I think it will be much harder. Industrial miners will certainly come up with ways to use the heat, but I think it will be much more difficult for them to put together large amounts of capital and build out a whole farm and reuse that heat. Whereas for a home, they're a little less price sensitive. They can just have a little, they can just replace their electric heater and have a little ASIC in there. And it doesn't necessarily need to be the newest ASIC because they can, you know, they're cutting down on their power cost rather than trying to make a profit and justify that profit. Yeah. It's actually funny. Uh, the you know the lasting quality of the hardware used in bitcoin mining sort of speaks back to what you were describing earlier about like uh lessening consumerism maybe it could be said it's related to a lower time preference or something like that mm -hmm. but it's certainly certainly interesting that they're designed to last so long and they really are lasting very long times mm -hmm. um here's an interesting question if you had the capital right now to purchase a whole coin or spend the same amount on uh, ASICs, however many you could purchase with that, uh, what would your choice be and, and why? Yeah, um, it's a conditional because my, my issue, I would have bought miners probably last year or the year before if I had a good place to plug them in. But I unfortunately only really have access to electricity in California and that's one of very few places even right now that you can't mine profitably. If I had access to like under 10 cent a kilowatt hour, then I would probably go the mining route. Otherwise I would get the coins. Yeah, um, I'm definitely interested in mining. It's just figuring out, you know, what facility do I host it in or where do I plug it in where I can work on it? Yeah, definitely, definitely a good answer. Let's, I mean, let's dig into that just a little bit. Uh, you mentioned California being one of the very few places where Bitcoin mining isn't profitable. Um, it, I mean, obviously energy costs are, are vary from state to state. Can you talk about how that might like, you know, it's difficult for, for people who are in California to, to do anything about that. Um, do you see any progression towards, uh, you know, Bitcoin mining being available for more people? regardless of that? Yeah, I think it it really comes down to regulation in a lot of states. Like that's my understanding of why it's so high in California. There's a lot of regulation and taxes and whatnot around electricity generation. 
Whereas like Texas, for instance, has a free energy market, which apparently is pretty rare. I don't know a lot about each individual state. I've only talked to certain home miners about what they know about, you know, their, their individual state. Although what I do think will start to have an impact hopefully is like more home generation systems, like people able to put solar panels on their roofs or wind turbines or whatever, like, and produce energy on their own. I think that will start to lead more people to turn ASICs on and start to use some of that excess energy when they have excess energy. So for instance, I, I have a friend that lives off grid in the jungle in Thailand, and he has a panel on his roof that makes one and a half kilowatts. And he said he usually uses like max peak power, he'll use two or, or like 20 or 30% of that. So there's a lot of extra energy that's going into a battery pack. And then that battery pack is just sitting there and he's not really drawing much except for a computer and maybe charging a cell phone and an internet router. So I told him you should put a box in the back and put an S9 in there because it's free power for you. Like he doesn't pay anything for that. He's paid off the panels. So he could easily be mining. And again, he doesn't need an S19 because he's not paying, you know, power rates and having to be profitable on top of that. It's free power. So he may as well be using it. Literally. Uh, you might have like a unique perspective here since you've talked to so many uh, miners. Do you see off-grid mining and, and like, you know, sustainable sources like that being the, the dominant source for, for home mining as we go forward? I don't know. That's a good question. I think it all depends on how energy markets develop as well. It's going to come down to need. I think people who have a desire or a need to put, say, solar panels on the roof and then end up having extra energy, they might come upon this as a solution, basically, for doing something with that extra energy instead of just letting it sit. I think it'll just be down to need. Whereas if the grid starts pumping out five cent kilowatt or two cent kilowatt hour electricity to tons of people, then they're probably not going to go that route and have, you know, a need for their own electricity generation. So it sounds like um, from like the totality of this conversation, a lot of, you know, specifically the home mining, but mining in general is a very much conditional thing that relies on a lot of external factors like the cost of energy and how that energy is being produced and then the regulation down the line from that energy. Uh, it sounds like that plays into pretty much every decision that miners would be making. Yeah, I mean, energy is your your cost. That's pretty much it. I mean, you have to clean the machines. Maybe you could talk about that as being a cost and you have to cool them, but it, cooling then comes down to energy mostly. The thing I love about mining so much is uh, I remember day one of economics class and we talked about perfect competition, which is another thing that doesn't really exist. It's just theoretical. But uh, one of the examples that we were given is like restaurants are almost perfectly competitive. They're very, very difficult. It's very difficult to run a restaurant. You have very thin margins. But of course, restaurants are highly differentiated. People all, each restaurant has their own little thing that they do special to them, their own brand and whatnot, and their own customer loyalty. Bitcoin has none of that. There are machines that are plugged in to the wall and connected to the same network and 
the network does not care whether you have a newer or older machine or where you're based or what your political views are. They just want you to submit hashes. And if you win, win, then you win. There's really no advantage that you can get other than power cost. Not unique, Captain Sid says. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, looking back at, uh, at the last time you were here on, uh, on Meet the Plebs, you mentioned two things that you were looking forward to in Bitcoin adoption. Uh, nation state adoption specifically, and the implementation of mining by energy producers. Could you just, uh, you know, reflect on, I think this was, sorry, one sec, this was October. Can you reflect on any development in that space so far and, uh, and you know, what we're looking at now? Yes. Yeah, so it's been pretty wild to watch everything that's happened, not really from a nation state adoption perspective, but from nation states being involved, like Canada weaponizing their financial system against their citizens, obviously the Ukrainian invasion and people trying to get out, trying to move money around, and then Russians as well, dealing with the weaponization of the financial system against them. So there's been a lot of moves by nation states that have highlighted the use of Bitcoin and the value of Bitcoin to regular people that you know, two years ago, it was not clear at all. It was still just an investment, but now people are seeing the censorship resistance, the mobility that's you know granted by Bitcoin, and just how useful and powerful that might be, even in like a Western democracy like Canada that you would think would protect these types of rights for their citizens at all costs. So that's been pretty wild to watch. And what was this the second thing? Sorry. It was the implementation of mining by energy producers. Oh, yeah. So I haven't really followed this all that closely. I think home mining sort of supplanted my interest in that. Um, but I think we're going to see more of that. Like after that Texas winter storm, we started seeing more talk of we can use Bitcoin miners to balance the grid. So hopefully that is starting to enter higher levels of conversation among you know, people who are not typically following Bitcoin. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, you mentioned all of the uh, geopolitical events taking place today. Uh, we could really have a whole nother podcast on that, but real quick, could you just speak to how Bitcoin mining plays into that, maybe even specifically home mining? Yeah. So you mean about Russia and Ukraine or? Uh, yeah. Around? Well, and, and, just all around, especially uh, uh, with Ukraine and Russia being large energy producers, you know, miners going to react to this. And then how does like geopolitical strife like that uh, play into people's decisions on where they plan on mining? Because seven or eight months ago, uh, Ukraine wouldn't have necessarily been seen as a terrible place to be mining. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good point. Um, one other thing about home mining that I started to discover as I was talking to um, some miners and just digging in more to it. And Econo Alchemist is a really good person to follow about this is the fact that you're acquiring no KYC Bitcoin. I think all these events are really highlighting. I mean, they're definitely highlighting for me personally how useful that could be to have some amount of no KYC Bitcoin or have your whole stack in that. 
And home mining, especially if you're reusing heat, you're basically getting, depending on your power cost, a slight discount on Bitcoin. You might overpay occasionally, but if you think about it as dollar cost averaging rather than trying to make a profit, again, you don't mind if you're you know, losing a little bit of money here and there because you're gaining the fact that there's no trail to those coins. So that is a really useful aspect that I hope is becoming more apparent to people as they're watching you know, invasions and, and chaos um, and financial censorship. And also no counterparty risk as well if you're going to do home mining. Like you said, Ukraine would have been a really good place to be mining up until you know, a couple of weeks ago. And if you're mining at home, you have much bigger problems if that miner is at risk. Yeah, oh, uh, definitely. Uh, like I said, there's a full rabbit hole we could dive down with uh, the, the geopolitical events going on right now. But I think, uh, like you said, they really do highlight the sort of reason why the KYC premium is often paid. Uh, you know, it might seem like, uh, uh, why would you do that now? But when you need it, that's with when the premium is worth it. So, um, I mean, wrapping up here, you've got the, the motorcycle ride, you've got the home mining, you've got the Bitcoin 2022 going on. What are you most looking forward to in the Bitcoin space uh, as we head into the rest of 2022? Yeah, so I would say two things. One is on the home mining front, just more commercialization of home mining equipment. I've been following a lot of tinkering and really cool stuff being made by just individual homeowners and miners that are building custom solutions. But like CoinHeated, for example, is now commercializing his really cool immersion tank setup. You don't have to take the fans off. You just slide the ASIC right in. It's super easy. And then that would go to a water uh, heat exchanger. So things like that, that are going to make it really easy for the next wave of home miners who maybe don't want to do like metalworking and build their own boxes and aren't into that level of tinkering. They can buy something like coin heated solution and then have that taken care of for them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing more and more products like that hit the market. And then the second thing to, to tie in with all the geopolitical stuff is just the development and spreading of more privacy centric tools, things like join markets and coin join and samurai and whatnot to mix coins, to uh, acquire non KYC coins. I think there's a lot of that stuff out there. It's very technical to try and get into. So I'm looking forward to both more tools, but also just better explanations around how to use it, why to use it. And I think the motivation is now there for a lot of people to pick these things up and start to learn more. Awesome. Awesome. Totally in agreement with you there. Commercialization of, of, of home mining will be an excellent thing to watch and the, the spread of privacy, right? Uh, just published an article yesterday about, uh, uh, about how important it is to keep that in mind while we, uh, develop on Bitcoin. So, um, I mean, it's been an excellent, excellent conversation with you, Captain Sid. I want to remind everyone that if they want to see Captain Sid's awesome electric glide, uh, he, they've got to go to Bitcoin Miami, April 6th to the 9th. Use the code YTMAG. Get your, get your you know, percentage off. 
and uh, come come check out this bike, man. I, I'm going to be super excited to see it in person and uh, and launch this journey. But uh, thanks for joining me, Captain Sid. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to hitting the conference. Yes, yes. Thank you.